Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about fragile masculinity. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Micah Silver, and I'm a childcare provider, and I use they, them pronouns. This is a fun bonus episode for everyone. This is our first Patreon bonus episode. Yeah, so we decided to do your classic childhood Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Yeah, what what is more quintessentially childhood Christmas than a Christmas story? Fun coincidence, also directed by Bob Clark, who directed our other non-bonus movie this month. Did not know that crossover when I planned the month, frankly, but it is a weird serendipitous thing. I want to talk to Bob Clark about his weird Christmas obsession. I, should you watch this movie? I don't think you need to. But. I, I feel like I you should watch this movie. If you've seen it before in your life, there's no reason to go back except to ruin a thing that you probably enjoy for yourself. But if you've never seen it, I kind of feel like you have to. Like there's so much. It's like seeing The Godfather or something. It's like how do you move through the world in pop culture and have not seen the, a Christmas story. It seems insane to me. I'm saying directly into the eyes of my co-host, Micah Silvern, who had never seen this movie before we did this for the show. My life has not changed pre or post a viewing of A Christmas Story. I'm upset. I feel like I understand I'm boomers. I'm upset by this, <laughs> listeners. I feel like I understand boomers a lot better now, though. Yeah, it's definitely good for that. And I think there's a lot of unpacking boomer stuff in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do we want to do a plot summary? The, yeah, the it's hard to do a plot summary for this movie because it's not really a plot. It's sort of like, it's basically like a sketch movie. There's just like little vignettes that happen over the course of a Christmas. But yeah, it's a Christmas story. The kid wants a BB gun, a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas, and then a bunch of Christmas shit happens, and then he gets it, and that's the end. Yeah, I don't, There's not really a plot. Just, you've got it. Even if you haven't seen it, you know it from pop culture enough. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Subscribe to our Patreon for more behind-the-scenes and bonus content. Bonus movie for next month is our first Amy Heckerling-directed bonus movie, uh, European Vacation, starring everyone's favorite, Dickbag Chevy Chase. So that'll be a fun one to talk about. I'm excited about that. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. You should be spending time with your family not listening to this episode. <laughs> Frankly, go do that. I cannot believe how much I watched this movie growing up. Really? Yeah. Because, like, well, we grew up in, like, the heyday of this being on TV all the time. Right. Because I read, like, in, like, 1990, some station bought the rights to it. And, like, they've been playing it at Christmas ever since. And then TBS at some point in my teenagehood or, like, preteen adolescence maybe, like, started doing that, like, 24 hours of a Christmas story. I'm sorry, what? You didn't have cable growing up, so this is a thing. So, the thing about cable networks, right, the thing about terrestrial cable when I was growing up was, like... There was a hundred channels, but, like, there was only so much, like, syndicated television. Right. And a lot of time, and so only so much original content, but all of those hundred channels or two hundred channels, like, or four hundred channels on satellite or whatever, like, had to fill all the time somehow. So, like, every single station would have a Law and Order to re something of its ill right. to rerun all the time. Or they would find the same four movies that you could obviously get really cheap oh God. to put on TV would get played all the time. So there's just this like uh phenomenon of like kids who grew up with cable we all kind of have the same handful of movies that we saw over and right. over because like 
those were the movies that got played all the time, and this is one of those movies. Unfortunately. Yikes. Yeah, this was my first time watching it. I That is so weird to me. I, I mean, have avoided it. We should say for it. the uninitiated, you are also Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> but I grew up with Christmas. Like, I, we did Christmas and kind of it was weird uh we did christmas when i was little and then as i got older i we kind of stopped doing christmasy things like all of my favorite christmas traditions were with my jewish family like oh my god my grandmother would take us down to marshall fields in chicago to see all of their big window displays like the in the opening it was like the opening of this movie you know like i was like oh i've done this i used to do this every year it was awesome or like go to the like lights drive through uh that was in oh, downtown yeah. or whatever you know like that shit was fun but like the whole christmas morning like opening up all your presents you didn't do any of that stuff like maybe for like there's like one year i can remember doing it maybe huh. like five but like fascinating my mom has really distinct handwriting <laughs> and <sighs> Santa wrote a lot like her, she did. So <laughs> I did that math pretty early I too. Figured out. I was like, I had little cousins, so I played along for a long time, you know. And I think that's funny that, like, I mean, it's not surprising, I guess, given Christianity, but like, I think it's so funny that like, there's this just like collective societal agreement to lie to children, right? I don't get it. Like. I don't think, first of all, that's a good precedent to set that, like, hey, kids, don't worry. Adults are just lying to you all the time. And a lot of the stuff they tell you is just bullshit to make you fall in line. Again, see Christianity. But, like, it just seems so toxic to me. Like, man, when I have a kid, there is no way I'm telling them that Santa Claus is No. That's, like... Santa Claus won't be a thing. No. No, and now you've got this elf on a shelf thing, which is literally teaching kids to live in a fascist state. Right? You literally are being watched all the time. Don't worry, Big Brother's here all the time watching your every move. the fuck? Again, you want your children to respect you, give them fucking respect first. Right. And I think, again, a big part of this is, like you know, Protestant, like, puritanical Christianity. Absolutely. Like, I really don't, like, (laughs) I'm not a Grinch. I just fundamentally don't understand Christmas. Yeah. And, like, the whole idea that you're willing to lie to your child to give them material goods and keep them in line. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. It's just not healthy. Yeah. And especially because, like, you know, like, the pagan traditions that Christmas has has stolen from, like, I'm thinking specifically of Yule. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Saturnalia and whatever, too. Like, <clears throat> this winter solstice festival is about, like, it's about forgiveness and community and, like, coming together in a time when it's really dark and it's really easy to isolate and, like, it's about celebrating the people around you. And I think that it's just so funny that, like, this particular strain of Christianity, anyway, has this really good habit. Well, this really bad habit, but they're very good at it of, like, turning everything in, turning everything moralistic. Yeah. Right? Like, nothing can be joyful. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so I'm very familiar with the, like, you're not allowed to have joy sort of paradigm that was like very much how i grew up is that like you you should be happy that you have any joy at all because god could take it away at in the blink of an eye which is like that's a horrible way to live it's an awful way it's literally abusive like it's it's literally abusive to like teach kids that they're gonna be tortured forever if they do some bad shit forever Forever's anyway, a long this time. This is a different podcast that I'm going to make about how fucked up it is to raise your kids in, in the faith, but it's not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like everything that I know of taking care of children and everything that I believe in for how childcare should be screams against this. Right. I think it says a lot that Christmas time is statistically one of the most stressed out times of the year for the human race and specifically for our country and 
it's supposed like you said it's like it's supposed to be about coming together and having you know being with you that was the most stressful part was being with my family like, <laughs> no thank you let me celebrate on my own and well again like like we always talk about on this show like that is a function of how fucked up your family is right like right. that's a that's a function of like the abuse cycles and the inability to communicate and right. the like, lack of, of understanding the stuff that we talk about all the time. Like we were just saying on the Frozen episode, like that stuff's not a given. It doesn't have to be a given if we actually like treat each other with respect and like listen. Right. Yeah. Like I, I like the newer traditions that I've started cultivating for my, for our little family unit here of like, you know, making sure that we have friends over and are eating and like having, you know, celebrating the fact that we have connections with other human beings rather than like purchasing things for each other. Yeah. And lying about a man squeezing into your, breaking and entering into your home. Don't do that. That's scary. A plus way to make a kid feel unsafe in their home. Like, yeah. Don't worry. There's just magical creatures out there who could just break in at any point. Uh, I promise they're not going to harm you, but who could really know because they're unknowable mythical creatures. <laughs> right? Like, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay, that being said, I was very resentful that you made me watch this movie at first, but by the end of it, uh, it's fucking adorable. Like, not... It's really cute. Like, if you're watching this movie not in the way that we watch movies and just, like, letting it roll over you, it is quite cute. Like, it's very precious. It's very adorable. It's hella problematic. Super. But, like, you know, I love that you have, like, a world in a lens of childhood. Like, that is... Exactly. So cool. And That's like, why we had to do this movie, is because it's so distinctly from a child's perspective. And we don't get a lot of those no. on the show. You've got all of the big feelings and everyone's a caricature because right. they don't have any other reference points well, like, of the complication. like, the bully has yellow eyes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, everything's really extra big right and it's just like like my favorite parts were his like little fantasy flashes of like his teacher grading his paper or you know him becoming blind from soap poisoning right you know and like having these like fun little moments of like that's what it's like to be a kid and like really it it, it totally is it's really interesting and like actually like a really unique way to look at the world and very refreshing to like have that point of view brought up yeah at some point, this podcast is going to end up being called Processing Boomer Trauma until they let us make all the movies. Because oh my God, yes. I don't know how you can watch this movie and not like turn to your grandmother or, wh- or whoever and be like, do you need a hug? Is everything okay? I feel like probably everything's not okay with you. Yeah. Because like I just experienced what it was like to be a, you as a kid in a movie, in a fantastical way, and I feel sad for you, and you lived through it, so I have a feeling everything's not okay. Yeah! <laughs> Are you talking to someone? I, like, holy shit. Like, like, I just feel like this is another one of those movies, I don't, this keeps happening, made in the 80s, that's about the mid-century, and this one specifically is pre-World War II, which is a little interesting, because usually... The thing that these movies want to throw back to is the like post World right. War Two abundance like right thing, um, but that, it's interesting. But yeah, it's another one of those like not technically a boomer, actually a war generation, um, you know, like flashing back right. from from forty years in the future about how beautiful their childhood was. And like even again, like I said, like even in a fantastical, like wasn't the past beautiful way, like sense, it's it's, it's still it's trauma. Still ends up looking fucked up. It's like I like, even when you're looking at it through like a how great was my childhood. Right. Like this was like the best time of year. This was my like the yeah. gear I got my gift that I wanted. This is like but holy shit like 
the fact that you can't tell the truth about who you learn swear words from because it's your own father. Right. And you can't go against your father because... Because you're not allowed to question authority. Right. At all. It's just terrifying. And it's like, this whole time I just wanted to go, so this kid's in therapy now, right? Right. Yeah, no. (laughs) This kid, it turns out, this kid is uh, based on a memoir, kind of. Okay. Um, so this movie is based on a book called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, uh, which is a collection of short stories that were originally published in Playboy. Uh, Interesting. Written, written by a man named Gene Shepard, who was a radio storyteller. Okay. Um, and he happened to be, I guess, friends with Shel Silverstein, who encouraged him to write his stories down, oh. which he didn't like doing. I, I as a storyteller, I, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they were published like in serial in Playboy. Interesting place for publication about childhood stories. Okay, well, you also have to appreciate that. In the mid-century, Playboy was much more of was much more seen as like a culture magazine. I mean, it was very much a culture magazine. Right. Like that joke about I read it for the articles right. is a joke because like you did read it. For Playboy the actually had like really good journalism, and it was that was doing a lot of journalism that a lot of other outlets were afraid to do because the topics were uncomfortable. Interesting. So it was the perfect place, actually, to publish a memoir like this. Yeah, I guess it would be. But um, so this book, his book, though, has come under a lot of fire because it's pretty obviously, like, fictionalized. Uh Uh-huh. But he claims that it's all, like, you know, true-ish, which is a little problematic and like some of it is like obviously references to true things right even when he says stuff is fixed so anyway i to all that to say it is based on true events with a big old fucking grain of salt i don't i don't doubt like that a lot of this stuff happened to somebody like it seems like for sure like this movie's plot is so benign compared to some of the other ones that we take watch. Yeah, it's like barely even a plot. It's one of these like like pastiche movies yeah. where like it's like a series of of vignettes. Yeah. Series of shorts like again, it's a sh- series of it's short, short stories, stories that happen around the same time. Yeah. And have a narrative arc because of time, time. because of linear time. Right. But aren't necessarily a plot. I can't imagine watching it in 2021 for the first time. It's wild. And I just, I wish I could blank my brain and watch it with you for the first time as an adult. Definitely watching it as an adult. I can see how this movie would have become a favorite for children. And like, I can see like easily how that like becomes a Christmas classic for people. But watching it for the first time as an adult is just like, it really is like, is everyone okay? Right. Yeah. Do we need to talk about something? Are (laughs) we processing these feelings correctly? Uh, You know, do you... Because, like, there's a read of this movie where uh, Robbie's little brother's autistic. And... Uh, Ralphie. Ralphie, Ralphie, thank you. And Ralphie's little brother's name is Randy. Randy. Very, very helpfully. They have... yeah. But, yeah, but Same Randy things. could definitely be read as like autistic or neurodivergent. Totally. And, uh, and also they're definitely going to give him an eating disorder. Oh, absolutely. I kept thinking about that the whole time like, oh, well, Randy doesn't like to eat. He's I was like, first of all, yeah, that kid's probably autistic. Like it's probably like a weird food texture yeah. thing. And I bet if you sat with him and listened to him and had a conversation with him, he would tell you what foods he does like. Anyway, but yeah, they're definitely going to give him an eating disorder, like with all the like, you have to eat and then the piggy stuff. Oh, I... That, as a kid, as a person who had an eating disorder from a very early age because of my shitty parents, like, that made me, like, physically sick. Yeah, that was like... I I had to turn off the TV and walk away for a moment. I was like, I can't deal with this. This is bullshit. Um, yeah. And it's supposed to be funny. And, like, I remember 
watching this with my then stepdad and him being like, isn't this fucking fun? Isn't this hilarious? And like, even as a teenager, I was like, but this kid is a human being, right? right? Like, I get that this is a movie, but also the thing we always talk about on this show, like movies are the window that we see the world through, especially if you are a child or you're poor or you are in some other way unable to, you know, travel and see the world. Right. Uh, or if you don't live in a big city right. where you can meet a lot of different kinds of people. Like, media is how we experience those things. Yeah, absolutely. And anyway, it, it just, yeah. Yeah. Know, that it, was a long tangent for nothing, but it just was. Yeah, it was very disturbing. And, like, I also, like seeing how this movie glorifies violence oh yeah that's like the first thing in my notes terrifying it's so uncomfortable and it happens at every turn yeah and it's in this way that's so blithe that it feels like no one who was making it thought about it at all i don't think there's a single person who has someone hold them accountable for their actions in this movie because like even when Rel- uh, Ralphie and... Well, Ralphie gets, like, punished for swearing and for... Well, not for fighting. Of course, can't punish people for violence because violence... Okay, yeah, he has to put soap in his mouth because he swore. Yeah. But, like, even when him and his friend, like, physically injured his their other friend by sticking a tongue to a pole... Yeah. They don't get in trouble because the shame of it is enough punishment. Like, no, hold yeah. boys accountable for their actions. Boys will be boys is bullshit, and it's you just not wanting to put in any effort. Right. Yeah, it's just, like, being unwilling to actually hold men accountable. Again, like, we, we've talked about this before, that, like, a big part of masculinity is the the ability to, to not feel anything. Yeah, and yeah. to never be introspective. And I think part of that not... Like, boys will be boys letting men do what they want thing is that if we start criticizing men, they will have to be introspective and start feeling some feelings. Oh, absolutely. And we, they can't have that. No. That brings the whole house of cards down. No. Like, the whole idea that your, your feeling of shame is enough punishment because it means you have to feel something at all. Right. Is bullshit. Like, yeah. of course you should feel shame. You... You knew it was going to stick to a pole and you triple dog dared him because you wanted to see him. And then you didn't him. help him. Like, that's the no. really fucked up part. Everybody just, like, goes inside and they're like, haha, our friend's probably going to get hypothermia out here and die. Right. Like, you were just going to leave him? You didn't even want, you weren't even going to tell anyone? No, right. And, like, like. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the the therapy that kid's going to go to? Right. Like, okay, so there I'm standing there. My tongue frozen to a pole. All my friends standing around me. And I'm like, haha, very funny, guys. Now help me get out of here. And then they all go inside and they leave me there. Right. I would still be processing that shit. Right? Yikes. And it's, like, terrifying how much of boyhood is just traumatizing each other. Yeah, it's just traumatizing each other. And it's traumatizing each other with violence and it's traumatizing each other with name calling and and bullying and even like even positive play between boys ends up with like name calling and a lot of misogyny right. and, and stuff like shitty stuff like that. Like, yeah. like even sports, right? Oh my like God. We both, sports. Yeah. We both did sports and I did sports as a masculine kid. And the amount of like, you know, the amount of like times I'd be like, I can't do this. I feel bad. I need to sit down and like a coach screaming in my face. Like you got a man up. Like this isn't what oh a man God, yeah. does. Like, that kind of shit. It's just, it's fucking gross. Like, men are allowed to have feelings and people are allowed to have limits. Yeah. It is really obvious with the character of his father of, like, how toxic masculinity is. Yeah. Like, I, like I feel his dad is the perfect encapsulation of toxic masculinity, of that, like, repressed bullshit, uh constantly screaming and belittling at people doesn't take uh, responsibility for his actions can only react to things with violence or his ego is so fucking fragile like the how obsessed he is with showing off that lamp leg because he won it right because it's a prize because it's a status symbol yeah exactly is 
absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's really gross. <laughs> it's so funny because it, this whole movie, like, has no idea it's showing its ass. No, it doesn't you at know? all. Like, it, this whole movie is like, look at this shiny, beautiful thing I made. And, like, it has no idea that there's, like, a big old fucking donger hanging out from underneath <laughs> it. And it's like, if you think about this movie for two fucking seconds, it's just, it's horrible. It's horrifying. <laughs> like. Yeah. So we, we got to talk about the, like, I think we should talk about the violence stuff. Yes, absolutely. First. Yeah. The, like it starts, the violence fetishization starts so early. I mean, it's like the first thing with yeah. him wanting a fucking gun. Right. Like, right. Like you got He's nine years old. He's got to have a gun. I mean, I'm sure I had a BB gun before nine years old. I understand some people's stances on guns. Like, I get that they're useful tools, especially when you need to, like, protect livestock. And, you know, I understand. Whatever. You hunt, that's fine. No child needs a fake weapon. Never. No, like, you do not need to start playing violence Ever. All it is is you're desensitizing that child to it and you're going to create something, a monster that you cannot unmake. Right. And like the thing is, I, like you said, like I recognize that guns are useful, but I don't think violence is ever something that should be aspired to. Absolutely not. Like this movie and Ralphie in particular craves violence in a very i think american culture in a way i mean i think this is bore out by like our vindictive uh judicial system and frankly our like terrible medical system like americans crave violence oh absolutely we fantasize about it like that's what the whole gun culture is it's just like this fantasy about roving hordes who you're gonna have to murder and like giving basically just like giving you an out to murder your fellow humans a thing you've literally been thinking about since you were a child because it's all the culture programs you to think about especially if you're a masculine child yeah it's really scary and it feeds into how easily men go into rage because again there is your violence that you've been craving and you understand right. as violence is power right and which it's not. Let's no. get that very fucking clear. Um, but, you know, you have this, like, almost right and, like, passage, uh, rite of passage for men to, like, lose their temper to a point of where they lose control. Right. And it's just yeah, it's disgusting. Almost, it's almost aspired to, right? Right. That, like, God, I hate to do this. Alex Jones does this shit all the time that like, well, I don't crave violence, but if somebody comes for my daughters, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to cave your skull in. Right. It's like, no man, like if you don't crave violence, then you You don't think long and hard and build elaborate fantasies about how you're going to kill people who come for your family. What you're doing is justifying working backwards to justify why you crave violence and to make it reasonable to give yourself some excuse right. to crave violence. Right. Because you know you do, but you know that you shouldn't. Yeah. And, like, I think this is um, – I have a, a bigger thesis about this, so sorry. This is, like, a big No, you're good. Point. But, like, in the – there's a scene where Ralphie is, like, in the front window – of the toy store looking at the gun. Yeah. He calls it a peacemaker. Right. I, that is. And I, like, that's a thing people, that's a thing people call guns or have called guns. And it's just so disgusting. Like it totally feeds into that. I mean, that's how the whole myth. military complex works is that it feeds off of you need more weapons to be peaceful. Right. Like as if that's ever actually worked and more armed countries have ever actually been in fewer wars and not more like that's insane but like i think it goes back to um i think it goes back to the american discomfort with our history of genocide Mm. um i think that americans as a as a culture 
are not able to process that genocide because we have created this myth this mythology of violence as a peacemaking force so that mythology makes it such that the sort of claiming of the the, the quote-unquote claiming of the west the right. like manifest destiny the murdering of of indigenous peoples yeah. by the millions like was a peacemaking effort right it right. wasn't a violent act it was trying to bring culture right to an uncultured people i'm saying all of this in quotes people don't come for me um but like you know what i mean like yeah. i think we have always mythologized it in that way and in that way we can't process it because we're not really thinking about no, it in the pride its proper terms. Because let's be real, if we processed our history as true as it is in our current state, it would be ego death. And right, we would we'd have to actually like rebuild, rebuild the whole everything. Thing from the ground and up. no one is willing to put in that work, or yeah. a very few people who are in charge would want to give up their power enough to right. rebuild. That. This is why I'm saying everyone at some point in their lives needs to eat like six grams of mushrooms. <laughs> Have an ego death about it and just come back, feel rejuvenated, and, uh, you know, feel a little less uh, a little less high and mighty after you piss your pants or whatever. Or, you know, work retail for six months. <laughs> or both. We could do both. both. I truly believe that, like, every person should work, like, six months in fast food, six months in retail... And then, like, you know, six months, like, in housekeeping in a hotel. Yeah, like, absolutely. Every... <laughs> because, like, you will never be nicer to people... Oh, absolutely. ...than after you have had that job. And, like, I am so nice to wait staff because I fucking hated waiting tables. Oh, it's the worst. And, like, I'm, I'm so nice to fast food employees because I also was 16 once. Like, basically all of my philosophies are about humbling, like, rich, entitled people. So this is, should not be shocking, I guess. No, they need to be humbled. <laughs> you sent me that goddamn TikTok about whatever, let's do math that makes you mad. <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, it's crazy how much, how much wealth the the top one top one percent of of earners in the U.S. It's have. disgusting. And what's really disgusting, like right, is like, uh, that they don't even need it. No, right, because they once you have a significant amount of assets, then you can make income and buy things with assets, so you never actually need. Right, you to don't use to... money. Rich people don't even use money. Right. They just get loans and trade houses and like right. sell cars and boats and shit like that. Like and in that way they don't ever have to pay fucking income tax. Anyway. Yeah. The whole if you're it's totally unethical to be rich. Yeah. Um It yeah, it is it is and I will I I will defend this position to my death. It is objectively evil to be a billionaire. Oh, absolutely. And I'm including Oprah Winfrey. She also can can uh, fucking have her organs eaten. I don't care that she's a woman of color. A bil- being a billionaire is a moral failing. It absolutely it's, is. You have, you have failed to elevate the community around you and you have enriched yourself at the expense of hundreds or thousands of other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I... A hundred percent agree. Anyway. So another one, a scene that backs my Ralphie, not Ralphie. What's the Rudy? Randy. Randy. (laughs) I'm going to go through every R name. Richard. uh, (laughs) Another scene that backs my Robbie theory that uh, Randy is (laughs) not, it's not Randy. It is Randy. I'm just giving you shit now. (laughs) Fuck you. It's like I tried so hard Making to hold a on podcast to it. with me must be the worst. I, uh, <laughs> you're lucky. I love you. Um, a scene that uh, so a scene that feeds into my Randy is autistic uh, oh, yeah. theory is when he's putting on the snowsuit and all of the like like 
one, I would freak the fuck out if I couldn't move my arms yeah. like that. Like, I also come would on. have a breakdown from wearing that many clothes. Right? Like, you have so much. And then just his mom just being like, well, get over it. You can take it off at school. And I'm just like, no, doesn't no, work that way. That's not how. Doesn't work that way. Come on. Gonna have a breakdown before I get to school. <laughs> I can't do this. It was just like, that being said, I did grow up in the Midwest. I do understand that when it is negative 25 out and you need to get to school, you're going to have to wear so many layers. Yeah. Which, man, I hate to beat this drum all the time, but, like, the problem isn't the weather. The problem is capitalism. Like, the problem is that we can't follow the natural, like, uh, cycle of the seasons and just fucking chill and do nothing in the winter and eat jarred vegetables like we're fucking supposed to instead we have to go to work and go to school and do all this shit to make some fucking more money for goddamn billionaires anyway capitalism is the enemy i'm sorry we were talking about (laughs) oh a a christmas story the death of capitalism (laughs) Yeah, because this whole movie is, like, kind of a capitalist jerk-off. Oh, my God, it totally is. It's just, like... Well, and also, I was thinking about this, too. The dad's fascination with, like, winning stuff. It kind of fades out after he wins the leg lamp. But, like, he's, like, obsessed. He's, like, I'm gonna playing lotteries and playing fucking doing puzzles and the thing. Like, I think it's one of, like... Because lotteries are one of those fun, like like poor people carrots yeah. that like they dangle in front of us to like pretend that like oh someday you'll win something and maybe you too can be a class trader maybe one day you'll find out you're actually royalty right but like that shit's not actually real no. and like being rich requires the exploitation of other people it's disgusting anyway yeah the whole so i saw this a lot with my family and i think you know, is definitely a war generation trait. And because uh, I definitely saw it in my grandparents a lot more is the obsession with status and like how others are perceiving you. Yeah. And like the way the dad is obsessed with putting out his status yeah. and obsessed with having to like be the man, like the man of the house. And like, I can fix a hub tire. I can taking care of my family. I am. Shut up, I heard it now. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> you know, he's just... He's just a piece of shit. Yeah, real. yeah. But, like, you know, I saw it with my own family members from that generation of, like, you know, putting up a, a face when things are shitty and not dealing with anything because other people are watching. I wonder what that is. Like, because I, I certainly don't feel that way no like i think i'm probably extra low status with people that i know at all right yeah i mean i think it's hard for me to have my personality and not be low status because i'm depressed all the time um (laughs) but you know what i mean like i i just like fully doesn't make sense to me but maybe again maybe it's one of those like let's not talk about it like hide our feelings with the purchasing of things yeah yeah i I don't know i guess you are coming out of the depression and like right purchasing like being able to yeah because like you got to remember like ralphie's parents lived through the depression they were probably kids in the depression so like it's that's i think that's part of it for the war generation was that like either their parents or they as kids grew up not having anything like not even having like meat or cheese or you know like food to eat that a big part of it was like proving that you weren't like that anymore right yeah i think it was definitely like a cultural phenomenon of like showing off your wealth because no one had had it right and you know, I I mean, I think you can kind of see the same thing happening now in different ways. Like, we are so obsessed with brands and, like, showing off our 
financial status through like what clothes we wear, what bags we have. And like, it's just a different form of the same thing because. Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder if there's just some like human desire to be, I mean, maybe it's just like the desire to be liked. Maybe it's just like to fit in. Or maybe it's just what our, what has been, you know, it's just like one of those things that has just been like beat into the cultural uh, ideals. Like it's not like, it's like what we were talking about in Frozen where it's not necessarily, it's the way it is, but it doesn't mean it has to be that way. You know, like maybe our, our social status can be based off of, you know, how many friends we have or or, how much we give back to our community. community or, you know, Stuff like that instead of, like... How many things we own. Yeah. And, like, maybe, again, maybe it's one of those capitalism problems where, like, capitalism has convinced us that we have to have the bigger, better, newer thing. Right. Which is, like, I mean, that's what created the Depression in the first place, right? was, like, credit cards gone rampant and the, like... You know, keeping up with the Joneses, like, you gotta have the bigger car and the fancier thing and, like, the most opulent whatever you can have. And, oh, by the way, we invented this new thing called a credit card where you can spend thousands of dollars that you don't Don't have. have. And then we're gonna cripple you financially for it. And, oh, by the way, we'll never have any recompense in this industry. Stuff's gonna get more predatory over the next hundred years. Yikes! And then when it happens again in a hundred years, we're going to be really confused about why that might be and still not do anything. Uh, I will die on the hill that economist is not a real job. No, economist is a job that capitalism made up to justify yep. its existence. Yep. It's, I, I'm sorry. Your job is fake. The economy is fake. And uh, also, like, economists assume that human beings are, like, rational actors. <laughs> Uh. exactly that's my point i don't need to say anything else like they assume that humans make like perfectly rational decisions about the things they can and cannot afford like nope that doesn't even if that were true for neurotypical people which it's not Not. that's not all everybody no like you cannot assume that one thing about everything that's how that's the world works and, like, well, you know economics is not a real science because nobody agrees about anything. There's just economists who just have, like, every kind of different point take on stuff. Like, even philosophy agrees more than economics does. Oh, boy. Which is upsetting. That because is... philosophy's whole deal is not agreeing because... Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah, anyway. Economics is garbage. Fight me. Um, to pull away from the capitalist society. Oh, yeah. And go back to the, are you sure you should be in a family together uh, kind of thing? Of course his parents don't sleep in the same bed. Do like, they not sleep in the no. same bed? No, when he goes and puts his, like, little advertising advertising sheet of paper into his mom's magazine, there's They're two twin beds. Two twin beds. Because, you know, why would you want to, like... Like the person you're married to and are raising a family with. Funny. She okay, also. So I had always read that the two twin beds thing was a thing that was made up for TV, so as not to imply that married people were having sex, which is crazy because they have kids. Of course, they're having sex. That's have... how kids happen, right? I'm like, you have proof walking around right now, right? I hate. I love that straight people like to pretend that kids aren't fuck trophies. <laughs> Cause like that's exactly if I just walked are. if I just walked around this is really disgusting if I walked around telling people like I came in my husband nobody would be proud of me I filled my husband with cum no one cares because I'm not straight but if somebody's like oh we're trying to have a kid then you're saying the same thing I filled my wife with cum I'm cur- I'm coming in my wife all the time. <laughs> I am only calling my students fuck trophies from now on. <laughs> Come on, fuck, fuck trophies. trophies. Let's go. That's that's why what I would do. That's why I can't teach kids. <laughs> Come on, fuck trophies. Let's get out of here. But, like, <laughs> I don't fundamentally understand why you would marry someone you don't like. 
Like... Yeah, that seems to have been a thing for a long time. Right? These people don't seem to like each other at all. At all. And, like, I get divorce was not done and, like, things happen. But, like... But you couldn't find someone you actually actually liked? liked, You know? Like, what the fuck? Also, and then to decide to bring another, like, forcibly bring another human being into the world. With a person you don't don't like. like. And putting them in an environment that does not feel safe to you. Like, I just, like... Maybe it's baffling. It's, it's baffling, and like maybe it is because <laughs> maybe it is because kids can be accidents with straight people, and they take them for granted so much. Right, and like uh, a lot I of. I truly do think that a big part of the shitty parenting stuff we talk about on this show is because straight people take for granted having kids. Yeah, because like think kids are just like this fun accident you have, and then like I don't know whatever. Maybe they'll take care of you when you're old. Right, and. For queer couples, for a lot of queer couples, and I feel like for a lot of people in our generation in general, like, the thought process, like, we've put more thought into having kids and, like, raising a family. Because, like, how many millennials do you know who are like, I would love to have a family, but I find it ethically not appropriate right now. Or I would love to have a family, but I could never afford it. Right. And it's like five minutes of thought goes into changing the whole outcome of a human life. Right. And, like, the fact that you, like, I get it. The thing to do is get married and have two kids. And we were told that same shit, and we're not doing it. Like, you're allowed to change the narrative as you get older. That's the whole point of living. And, like... Yeah, I think a lot of the previous generations, though, like, because of the... Because of the lack of different inputs, right? Because Mm -hmm. they had fewer cultural inputs and less ability to travel. So they were limited to in the community uh, voices that they could hear. Right. I think that's part of it. And also the not being able to question your elders thing means that it's also impossible to question the traditions of your elders. That's true. Like, this is a thing that people say to me all the time when I make... I'm an atheist, um, and I can sometimes be a little annoying about it because (laughs) i was raised in the faith and i know how much damage it did to me and i know i'm not even the worst right like i know people i'm probably gonna cry that's fine i know people who were raised in the faith who are adults and who still wake up with nightmares about going to hell yeah in their like 30s and 40s yeah because like that shit fucks you up forever and i think it's fucking evil but anyway Sometimes I can get a little annoying about this stuff. And people always make this, people say this thing to me all the time, like, oh, well, my mom's religious, my grandma's religious, and I just don't want to offend them. That's not your job. And it's like, exactly, like, it's not your job to coddle adults. Like, if they can't take criticism about their ideas, then... That's, that's on, them. on them, not you. It's not your job to put fragile ideas on a pedestal so that they never so that no one ever has to look at them and maybe it's being queer and that's part of it for sure maybe it's a rebellious nature but like i've never been one to put much faith in family traditions like they've like they're fun they can be you know like you they're fun but like I don't need them to continue existing. Like I was very lucky and my parents raised us non-religiously and having my grandparents pull religion in for me on the two different sides were very different and very interesting to compare because on my Jewish side, it was very much like, we're going to temple for this one holiday. You're free to come with us if you want. Right. Like come for it for the cultural aspects of it to understand what, it right, is our people and all that right stuff. but you don't have to believe in it versus right. going to church with my grandmother on the other side was a terror like i went once and was terrified it, it's awful it's like man go to catholic mass sometime oh yeah it's like it's like all of the shitty things about church plus exercise <laughs> <laughs> because they won't let you sit down for too long because they know you'll fall asleep so you gotta <laughs> keep moving they gotta keep you moving yeah i like Maybe that's why I don't understand Christmas is because I just don't understand. I don't understand holding on to tradition so tightly. I'm the one who broke tradition. Like, I'm always have been 
breaking traditions and expectations and I why stop now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean definitely like another subtitle of this show is like how being queer ruined everything for me. Oh like yeah. Because I and especially being trans, like I feel like as queer and trans people we have to do so much deconstructing to figure out who we actually are. Yeah, absolutely. That it makes you so good at that deconstruction. I mean, if you do it right. Right. I think a lot of people transition without ever doing that deconstruction. Yeah. And I think you can tell and it shows. Absolutely. Um, But I think if you are healthy about it and you do a lot of like, you know, self-reflection and deconstruction and like tracing your ideas like it's impossible not to apply that lesson to the world around you Uh and it's impossible not to see the toxic traits that you have like cleansed in yourself or at least recognized in yourself in other people like oh when i was hurting and i didn't feel seen i did something like what you're doing i bet yeah. you are hurting and not feeling seen it's uh the best way i've heard it described is it's like learning how to drive like when you're a kid you're just like kind of in the back seat passing it along and you like can you you understand like this is just how things are or whatever and you don't question it much but as you learn and experience it more you start noticing how bad other people are at it right. and especially the ones who taught you and the ones yeah uh that are around you the most and it's fascinating it's fascinating to me that so many people struggle with taking a moment and looking at themselves and that it's that so as a culture we just are really bad at recognizing ourselves and taking us at face value and taking a moment to reflect in general because we can't be wrong ever like that's a message that has been pounded into us over and over and over again from every direction yeah as someone who has a difficult relationship with their uh, with their self already (laughs) um not watching other people struggle with it in such an obvious way and not face it it is really frustrating because it's like you're right there i can i can tell you how to fix it i can tell you right but i can't can't fix fix it for you 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 have to do some of the fucking work and some people just won't won't and it's very frustrating and i especially with the older generation they don't think they have to put in any more work because they've done it and i still agree with your theory that boomers never left teenagehood and are still just selfish little assholes yeah I was listening to a podcast the other day. Actually, it was my Alex Jones podcast. Uh, it was a little pod- podcast called Knowledge Fight, which you should go listen to if you hate yourself and you want to hear how dumb Alex Jones is. One of the hosts on there had a good point about, like, every generation has, like, culturally, like, a new operating system. Yeah. Like, each generation has a new set of norms and ideas and a cultural shift that has to cascade up through all the generations. Right. And teenagers, kids in general, have kind of the, like, beta version of the next operating system. Like, they have better ideas than us, but they're not not better ideas, newer ideas than us, but they're not good at like communicating them yeah. or like they're still processing, processing out the bugs. But a lot of older folks, because they've already had a lot of operating system updates, they don't want to update operating systems. It's exhausting. And so they're stuck two or three systems behind. Right. Because they're just not willing to keep doing updates like people who still have old iPhones and they're like, if I never update it, it'll work forever. <laughs> Which is, like, one way to approach it, but it's also not healthy because it means that you are limited more and more in the people that you're able to communicate with. Right. right? Because increasingly you're only able to communicate with people who are still on your operating system. Right. Which means you're more isolated in communities that are more isolating. Right. Which, in general, is, like, more conservative and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's... Anyway, yeah, our society is in an interesting spot with that. And I think I'm excited to see what Gen Z can do. 
Yeah. Um, I think they're going to do some really amazing things. And I'm really, really excited to see what Gen Z's kids do. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what the kids are like in 20 years. Yeah. It's going to be wild. Because they're going to be so weird. Like, how? So cool. Because, like, already, like, I. I work with elementary school kids right. and already I have kids who know that they're non-binary and are like yeah. supported and have family who are willing to like go the extra mile and learn about it and support them. And, you know, I've already got kids who have crushes on their same sex uh, friends and no one is making fun of them for yeah. it. And it's, it's not even, it's just the thing. And from when we grew up like that is crazy i would have never even dreamed of no like we had to fight through so much fucking denial just to like start realizing it's so funny how like when i was a kid and i knew that i was like gender non-conforming from such a young age anytime i would try to tell someone like I'm not sure I'm a boy. I'm not sure I want to, like, buy into all this boyhood stuff. Uh-huh. People would tell me this thing that people still say about trans kids. Like, you don't know. Right. You don't You don't understand because you're a kid. And I think that a lot of that comes back to the, like, I don't want... I can't process this, so right. I'm not going to help you through it because I'm not willing to make myself uncomfortable. Absolutely. But yeah, it's just, it's so funny because like the kids now are such a like, you know, sort of flies in the face of that whole thing. Like it turns out kids do know. Yeah. And, like they know from really early and like studies show that a lot of kids who identify as trans uh, something like 30% of kids who identify as trans pre-adolescence don't after adolescence. Some, Interesting. Some part of it is being prepubescent. Interesting. But a lot of those kids do. Like, a lot of those kids still are. Right. After, like, after they go through puberty. Right. And, like, uh, this was an argument that I would get in a lot at work. But, like, so what if it's a phase? Right, exactly. So what, so they, what does it hurt, hurt to humor them for a year or right. whatever? Like, we let kids pretend they're animals. We let kids yeah. pretend they're superheroes. We let kids, you know, run around with... Letting someone pretend right. they're a girl. So let them pretend they're a girl. Let Respect it. Like, yeah. it also goes to the point of where you have to... Think about children as their own person and right. their own entity. Which, which also makes some older generations really uncomfortable. Right. Like, God forbid you have a child with autonomy. Right. You know, and it's really heartwarming seeing how comfortable my kids are with their, with themselves at such a young age. Because totally. I wasn't. Like, right. No, not at all. And... I was so uncomfortable until, like, recently. Right. <laughs> and, like... Sure, there's some fights on the playground, but overall, like, the whole, like, fear of bullying and that, like, big wave of, like, anti like, it feels less needed because people are being held accountable and having consequences, and people are just fucking kinder to each other. Right, right. Because I think, yeah, we're teaching kids to process stuff earlier, and we're listening to them, and they're feeling like... They can actually go to people right. if they have a problem. Whereas, like, I did not feel like... No. I was. It was made explicitly clear to me when I was a kid that I did not have anyone to go to if I had a problem. And yeah. I had to sort it out on my own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, getting back to your Christmas story. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've seen it, there are so many references I finally get. Like the triple dog Daria. Yeah, I triple dog Daria and the Fragile thing. Fragile. <laughs> I, I've heard it so many times, but didn't understand. Like I'm like, I just thought it was a weird thing that we did as a culture. But... <laughs> we all collectively just like pronounced fragile wrong for fun. I, I pronounce words wrong for fun. So you know, there was a, this movie just like. Reminds us that there was a time where men, like male parents, were so abusive 
that a large part of the other parent's job was to cover for and protect the kids from the father's abuse. Oh, fuck yeah. Because that, like, she, the mother in this movie is running interference for the kids to not get their shit rocked by their dad constantly. And that was even a thing in my childhood of my mom playing defense for me to not get abused. Right. Like, and it's, yeah, it's so gross how... We are so unwilling to hold men accountable that we will, like, create a whole extra job for women, a whole, practically a whole industry around, like, protecting people from men's abuse because we can't just tell men to stop being abusive. Right. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's mind-boggling. I, like, yeah, the fact that she lies to her husband about her child getting in a fight to protect her own child. Yeah. Like, he, she knows he's going to get beat. Right. If the dad finds out. Right. And I feel like that's also why she forces uh, Randy to eat and, like, does the pig thing. It's because her husband threatens to beat him for not eating his goddamn food. Right. He, yeah, he's obviously about to be abused and, like, she's just trying to protect her kids. And it's just, like... Watching this movie had my nervous system on edge through the entire thing because I could just, like, feel the hair-trigger ego of rage from that family and from him. And it was just, like, absolutely disgusting. And And that it's glorified and most supposed to be the ideal. Right. And, like, that's so, like, the norm. Like, that's so common for that generation and like for the boomers and stuff like that kind of like dad with a boiling rage who was basically only good was basically only there for beatings right like, his only job was to bring in money and to beat you right and to, yeah to apply corporal punishment is like it's fucking gross Why do, and like okay. we can hold men to such a higher standard Yes. Also, can we call it, like, I hate that we all as a culture still call it corporal corporal punishment. It's fucking abuse. Let's be real. (laughs) Like, laying your hands on your child is abuse. It's abuse. And you should never fucking do it. Yeah. I I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah, I have a pretty blanket anti-violence stance. Yeah. But, like, when it comes to kids, like, you're literally just taking advantage of the fact that they have less power than you. Yeah. To hit someone who has less power than you. If you they. don't want to be talked back to, don't have kids. Don't have kids. So much of this shit comes back to like... Don't have kids. If you don't want shit that kids do, don't, don't have, have kids. kids. Anyway. All right. Rapid fire? Rapid fire round. So, one thing that I noticed that... uh. I thought about for the entire movie was in the opening scene. Uh, they're looking at the windows and there's a little wind up truck that like rolls by. Who's winding that truck up? Is there a, <gasps> is there a tiny think about human? Is there like a, someone hiding, like winding up all the gloves? Like toys? a stagehand just like sticking their little hands up through some holes. Right. And like some poor person sh- is sitting below oh. having to wind up all of these toys. <laughs> like, sitting and turning all these cranks and winding things every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they have lunch, please. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not allowed to take breaks. This is the forties. His bedazzled cowboy outfit. Oh my god. I'm pretty sure I've seen that outfit at a burlesque show. <laughs> definitely. You've definitely seen that exact outfit at a burlesque show. And it makes me so happy. Uh I am not a Western gay, but I want one. <laughs> Western gay. I don't know many Western gays. Cowboy Are gay. Are there Western gays? Right in, Western gays. Do you exist, cowboy gays? I want to hear from you, cowboy gays. What's your day about? What do you do? Anyway. Yeah, so, oh, I just, like, you know, I'm a sucker for, like, mid-century fashion. Yeah. And the, I love that everybody wears hats all the time. Yeah. And, like, the mother at one point, oh, when she comes out to break up the fight, she's wearing this, like, long wool coat. Oh, it's Gorgeous. This, like, dress coat that, like, buttons at the neck and uh-huh. it has, like, black fur accents. It's beautiful. It's I want stunning. one. The teacher's hat in his, fan- in his yeah, fantasy. The big, the big hat. Uh, that's exactly how I would grade papers. Hat and all. Uh, plus all the old giant boat cars. Oh, yeah. I got 44 miles per gallon and shot out fucking lead fumes. <laughs> um, my last thing is just 
her Christmas present to uh, his mom's Christmas present to her his dad. Of course, it's blue ball. It's a blue ball. <laughs> it's a blue ball. Perfect. After she like literally breaks the lamp, he's fucking. Um, you know. Oh, speaking of the lamp, I went on a weird tangent. So 1940s is bef- like. The modern plastics that we use now uh-huh. were invented in, like, the 60s and 70s. Right. So plastics existed in the early 20th century, but they were not as good. Right. So I went down a real rabbit hole trying to figure out what kind of – if this was, like, Perspex or Bakelite right. or what kind of plastic this – because this lamp is obviously plastic. Could not – I couldn't place it exactly. My guess is it's base – it's Bakelite. Bakelite's usually thicker, uh-huh. and when it breaks, it looks pretty thin. So it might be Perspex, but anyway, be expensive in the 1930s or 40s to make a leg lamp out of Perspex. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, but it, this is what ha- – look, this is why I do the research on this show is because I just can't stop myself. I just <laughs> fall down these little rabbit holes, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to learn everything about early plastics today. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Tell me you have ADHD without telling me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I early in this movie, I, uh, I I missed in the opening crawl where it said where it was set. Mm-hmm. And uh, early in this movie, they were like talking about some of their neighbors or some of the other kids they knew. And I was like, I guarantee you this movie is set in the greater like Chicagoland area because there's too many Polish people, <laughs> too many Polish last names for it not to be. And sure, like northern Indiana, Anna. that's just yeah. the Chicago suburbs. So, yeah, I fucking nailed it. And then I have another note later in my uh, in my notes that says, oh, she's boiling cabbage. This is definitely a Polish mother. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says holidays like cabbage. <laughs> like boiled cabbage. <sighs> God, I also the teacher when she hands back the papers, it looks like she's been grading in red crayon. It does. I think it's supposed to be. It's it's supposed to be like colored. I think it's probably colored pencil. Probably, but like, I guess they probably tried it in in ink and it didn't show up enough. <laughs> yeah. And instead of using a sharpie, like use a sharpie. That they have what... sharpies in the they had markers. Okay, I'm use a marker. Right. Like markers existed. I don't know if I'm going to add this movie to my Christmas traditions. I think I'm good. I think I can never see it again. I saw it so many times as a kid. If I never see it again, it will be too soon. The They're eating dinner. Yes. And they're eating on this beautiful green plate. It's yes. fiesta ware. Of course it is. I saw it and I was immediately like, I don't know those fucking plates anywhere. I dated a girl who had those exact same green <laughs> fiesta ware plates. I love it. Oh, we didn't talk about the Chinese restaurant. Oh, Holy Races and Batman. This movie is made in 1983, and there's a full-on racist, like, fa-ra-ra-ra-ra. It's, I, it I had to, I had to walk crawl. away. It was bad. Yeah, I, I didn't stick around for most of it. I saw the first, like, 10 seconds of it. I was like, nope, I'm done. No. I get it. Movie over. Oh, also, and in that same scene... The I I brings back my my point about like Americans not being able to face death uh-huh. and violence because like this whole day they've been obsessed with this roast turkey and then they don't get turkey and they go and they get Peking duck but they're uncomfortable because the duck has a head what and it's like what do you think the turkey had what do you think that turkey looked like. And it's, again, it's that thing where, like, we can't acknowledge death because that acknowledges violence and that acknowledges that, like, our whole way of life is based on violence. Also, if you deal with death, you have to feel things. Exactly. Which we can't ever do! Not ever allowed to feel things. 